Hello and welcome to What About Us? Cultural Awareness in Clinical Psychology. My name is Kate Cooper and I'm really pleased to be able to introduce you today to Dr J.D. Lay, who is a clinical psychologist in training at the Institute of Psychiatry in London and she also did a PhD in the same research group as me, which is the Centre for Applied Autism Research at the University of Bath. So we're friends and we know each other well, and it was really lovely to interview JD in person for the podcast today. And in the interview, JD talks about what it was like arriving in the UK from China as a young child and how experiencing that culture clash really led to her curiosity about human behaviour and trying to understand those differences in the two societies that she grew up in. JD also talks about her journey into research and then into the world of clinical psychology training. So over to the interview. Welcome, JD, to the What About Us podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to take part today. And it's really nice to be with you in a room together in person um, for the interview. Thank you so much, Kate, for having me. It's a real pleasure. And um, before we get going, could you introduce yourself so the audience knows who you are? Yeah, so my name's JD. Um, I'm currently doing uh, my clinical psychology doctorate training. Um, and I'm a final year student. Um, I was born in China, so I was born in Beijing, and I came to the UK when I was 10 um, with my family. So yeah, so I've kind of grown up mostly in London, but have moved around a bit in terms of academic degrees as well. Yes, you have done a huge number of academic degrees and we will talk about that as we go through. And I should say as well that we know each other, we're friends as well. Yes. And we met when you were doing your PhD at Bath University before you moved on to doing the declin. Yes. So, yeah. So tell me then, what got you interested in psychology and then later clinical psychology? Yeah, I think... Um, I first became really interested in psychology when I was maybe in year nine, year 10. I started kind of reading books, the the classic kind of Oliver Sacks, um, but also kind of reading a little bit more around just individual differences, like what drives people to do the things that they do. And it's made me kind of look back um, quite a bit on comparing my upbringing in China so going to school in China compared to coming to school in UK and just kind of thinking about how things like mental health like psychology is being talked about or not um and yeah that kind of really just drove my interest in the subject and kind of wanting to explore um yeah why people do the things they do and how does culture and a lot of these um community-driven factors kind of feed into that as well. Mm. And was that something that you were kind of consciously thinking about when you were reading? Yeah, I think it kind of, it was really interesting because having grown up partly in China, I think coming to the UK was a bit of a culture shock for me, like making that adjustment when you're 10 years old, moving to a new Mm. country and learning a new language. Um, I certainly had to be uh, quite aware of how I was coming across and 
um, some of the differences that perhaps myself and my family held compared to what was going on around me in school. So um, I was really interested in, you know, why were things different? Like, why is it that some of my understanding um, is quite different to my friends at school? And I think that kind of just grew in terms of like through my personal reading and talking to teachers in school who are very supportive and encouraging. Um, yeah, that kind of really grew from there in terms of the interest. That's so interesting. And knowing you, I can completely see how your little <laughs> 10 year old curious scientific self really wanted to get to the bottom of this. And I imagine even at that age, you were quite rigorous trying to work, trying to work it out yeah. and get to the bottom of it. But um, I'm really curious, like, how did you make sense of those differences at that young age? Yeah, I think it's really interesting that a lot of the conversations now is shaped around differences when actually, I think, thinking back to when I was 10, building that connection in an environment that's so alienating to you was actually about finding similarities or kind of identifying the few similarities there were. So I remember... Um, I think the first conversation I had with somebody, I was really into Harry Potter at the time and I was re reading all the books in Chinese. Mm -hmm. um, so I was kind of trying to think, oh, Harry Potter is like, you know, from, from the UK. Like maybe that's something that people here know about. And it was actually through very broken English at the time, kind of talking about these commonalities that helped me realise actually, yes, there are differences, but actually it doesn't stop you from being able to connect with other people. So I think that really helped me to know um, there are ways for you to speak to others and you know they're not so scary and so terrifying and actually having that connection allows you then to kind of explore some of the differences as well. Mm. And it's interesting thinking back to that period of time as well it was when in the UK um, the way to be not racist was to be colourblind right mm. and that was very much you know what I was taught growing up in a very white area um, with very little cultural diversity what we were taught was that you you don't see race and it's mm -hmm. almost rude to notice it or to say anything or talk about it and I mm -hmm. imagine that there were those narratives kind of around as well that might have been kind of shaped the way that you were thinking about things and I think there used it seems to me that there used to be more ideas around finding commonalities mm -hmm. between different groups whereas now I think you're right the narrative has shifted mm -hmm. much more to difference and really only speaking to an experience if it's something that you've personally had and that's mm -hmm. quite a big cultural shift that's happened. Yeah absolutely and I think yeah it's, it's kind of important I think to not forget about similarities because ultimately it's very hard for people to feel open and talk about some of the differences which could you know sometimes bring up quite painful memories as well um and so I always find it quite helpful to think about things that you have in common with others as well so yeah yeah lovely lessons that we can learn from 10 year old changes <laughs> <laughs> and then how did that kind of blossom and develop that interest in psychology as you got a bit older yeah I think as I got a bit older really it was just starting to kind of become more aware of actually here it's okay to talk about some of those differences that you don't have to all be the same or if you really struggle with something perhaps academically um there are people that can step in and help you figure out you know what's causing the difficulty and actually you know you can get support for that I think that was really eye-opening for me coming from being educated in China for my primary education where you know if you weren't able to do something it's really 
you're labelled as lazy, you're not putting in enough effort. So then that really got me into thinking, well, actually how, you know, why, why do different cultures kind of see things so differently? And having those conversations at home with my parents and thinking about actually, um, you know, are these concepts, do they also exist kind of in China, in Chinese school education? What are your thoughts around that? And just really those conversations at home led me to think a lot about cultural stigma and kind of mm. just like um, really strong held beliefs that people held about mental health, like within my family culture compared to what I was experiencing in school. So I think it was really noticing that difference. And I think kind of that curiosity of difference is okay. And you can, you can kind of have a channel to explore that and understand that a bit better, almost to debunk the myth a little bit. That's, that's what kind of drove me to study psychology a little bit more. And what was it that you were seeing at school in terms of attitudes to mental health? I think just in terms of, um, I went, so I went to a girls' school um, and you can imagine having lots of teenage girls in a, uh, during that in, in a very kind of high pressured, quite academic environment. So just kind of seeing how, um, you know, just even having talks about what is anxiety, what is depression, how do you manage stress? And actually thinking, oh, like some of the experiences that people are having, you know, it's okay to talk about that. And mm. um, that was really different to me because I think in, you know, in, in terms of our family friends or kind of thinking about how things were like for me back in China, um, it, w- it just wasn't really spoken about. I don't think the language was really there to kind of think about that. Mm. You mentioned earlier, so you, you were talking kind of about the cultural stigma um, in the Chinese community, maybe mm-hmm. around mental health issues and then having that contrast um, at school. But I was also struck by the fact that earlier you said about this idea of culture shock and you were really aware of how you were coming across to other people mm-hmm. at school. So I was just wondering what, what sorts of things were you kind of thinking about when you were really aware of how other people were seeing you? Yeah, I think it was really... It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think part of that self-identity... I kind of learnt through what other people have told me. Mm-hmm. So kind of seeing yourself through the eyes of others, if that makes sense. So I think it was, um, yeah, just, I think over the years I've thought a lot about how I perhaps really, luckily or unluckily, I don't know how to describe this, but perhaps fit into some of the stereotypes that people hold about Chinese um, people. So very mm. hardworking, good at math. And I think in some sense I was really struck by in secondary school when a friend turned to me and said actually oh my mum kind of explained to me this is from my friend saying um uh my mum explained to me that you work really hard because your family are you know foreign to this country and that's what you have to do to like earn your place and it really made me think very hard about you know is that is the reason that I work really hard kind of this Chinese Chinese kind of stereotype is that because I didn't have a choice and I had to do that and that's what um the stereotype was about or is that actually to do with my personal values and where does myself actually fit into this so it kind of yeah it kind of really started me thinking about you know what is me and like what is my family values where do the western kind of westernized values fit in and it's it's really tricky I think over the years to try to learn to find yourself through that space yeah and I mean almost impossible to answer those questions right yeah, and I think it was also the second time was 
when I kind of went to university and your horizons kind of broaden once again and realizing actually people come really diverse really different backgrounds and I you know I was kind of one of the few Chinese people in my school um probably the only person that actually came from from China mainland to study study here and when I went to uni I was at first really excited to think oh there's loads of like Chinese students that maybe I can be friends with and actually realized actually it's not just it's yes but also actually culturally I'm really unique because I don't actually understand um I I have a lot of kind of cultural differences compared to students that came probably just for their university studies from China but I also don't quite fit into British culture because my family holds very different values and realizing actually I fit into a very niche space where it's very hard to find other people share similar background to me so I think that's the first time when it really hit me like thinking about race culture and ethnicity how they actually are different concepts in terms of how they shape somebody's identity as well yeah and how did kind of teasing apart those different concepts help you make sense of your own identities I think just kind of really is it's a really tricky question because I don't know if I have fully formed that self-identity I think it's made me really um quite aware of the unique like upbringing I've had Mm and kind of thinking about whenever I notice a difference perhaps in the values that I hold or the way I perceive a situation whether that's comparing that to my family or comparing that to my to my friends um I think it's through those conversations that's making me realize okay is this actually a cultural difference is this actually uh is there something kind of racial going on here and I think it's really tricky sometimes for me to, to realise that and kind, kind of trying to find um, what do I feel comfortable with? Like, what are my own values and what do I feel most comfortable with in that situation? So I guess there's no really easy answer. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm, it's really fascinating for the particular age that you moved at. <laughs> and I think Dawn Edge, who was a guest recently, she also moved to the UK at a similar age. And um, just, you know, you've got all of those kind of critical periods for language development, which happen Mm -hmm. when you're a younger child. But then you had like your whole adolescence Mm -hmm. over here. And I think there's something really interesting about moving at that kind of key early puberty adolescent stage. But yeah, and being first generation Mm -hmm. in the country as well. Yeah. Um, I can see how that would leave you kind of falling between lots of gaps of different identities that other people might have kind of moving at that age Mm -hmm. yeah and you were talking about kind of finding your own values and navigating those kind of that difficulty making sense of yourself being in that situation and I wondered Mm -hmm. um what kind of helped you with that um I know you you know you haven't necessarily landed yet and who has (laughs) but what what has helped you along the way in terms of finding those differences yeah yeah or just kind of making sense of those yeah, making sense of things. I think definitely speaking to people and definitely reading. I think, especially during the pandemic, more recently as well, we've had lots of time to, well, I've personally had lots of time to kind of read books, to just read about other people. I became really fascinated by 
people growing up in a different culture to themselves um, and how they make sense of their experiences and actually realizing there's no one size fits all and maybe it's actually okay that you don't necessarily find your tribe so easily and you know if you hold differences in opinion I think part of for me part of that is having finding the courage to start speaking up whenever I notice actually I don't quite agree with this or I have a slightly different perspective on this feeling able to kind of speak up about those differences and Mm -hmm. just be curious to see what sorts of responses I get back I find that kind of two-way interaction quite helpful as well Mm. and was there anything that particularly triggered you to start doing that sort of reading to do that reading I think I I just really wanted to I suppose goes back to this is going to kind of go back on myself a little (laughs) bit but I guess kind of thinking about actually if I don't quite find my tribe like in the real world or perhaps people that share really kind of similar upbringing experiences to myself then maybe I can find that in other ways and I think it's that researcher mind of mine kind of coming in and thinking well can I actually read about other things that people have written about that can help me understand this um a little bit differently so yeah it was kind of those curiosity I suppose that drove me to read a bit broader yeah and let we must talk more about your career so how tell me how did you kind of move into the field of clinical psychology yeah clinical psychology I think it was really during my undergrad I think I really enjoyed learning about different types of psychopathology and part of that is kind of thinking about typical development but also especially I think I developed an interest in developmental psychology so how do children and young people start you know over the course of their development perhaps experience different uh, different differences and how that might shape their mental health in the long term mm-hmm. so um I think that curiosity kind of took me to think I can't just learn everything from books. I actually need to be working with people who experience those uh, difficulties and learn from them, really. Um, so that kind of drove me to do some volunteering roles, working with uh, children with, you know, who are on the autism spectrum, um, but also kind of into my research area, which is very much around uh, working clinically uh, with autistic children and young people as well. Um, and I think it was really from that again that two-way interaction of learning from the people that I was working with whether that's in a research role in a clinical role Mm. that just made me I guess I really I feel really honored to be let in to other people's lives and kind of learn about how they um, view the world so that really perpetuated my interest in sort of clinical psychology Mm. yeah and you you went on after your undergrad to do a master's which kind of led you in that direction a bit more yeah definitely yeah what was what was your experience like of doing that yeah so the masters was really focused on kind of developmental psychopathology and um it was a very interesting masters it kind of brought in together neuroimaging so kind of neuroscience with um psychodynamic theory so Mm. two that you probably would put on the opposite end of the spectrum um but it really kind of um yeah, it just helped me kind of develop different ways of looking at the same um, behaviour or try to understand the same phenomenon from different perspective. Um, and I think part of that was also done in the US. 
And actually it was really interesting to almost feel like I'm migrating again in my adult mm. years, having having done that when I was 10 and feeling like during that, you know, kind of teen decade, I've somewhat assimilated to British culture and somewhat kind of fit in most of the time, I think, um, to then almost repeat that experience again in my adult life. Mm. And that was very interesting for me as well. Yeah, did you learn anything about kind of how you're... Chinese identity was seen in America or did it kind of affect the way that you felt about yourself? Yeah I think it was really interesting because actually when I moved to the US because I was part of this master's program coming from the UK I think I actually realised like how British I am. And you've completely got a British accent haven't you? Yeah so it was really quite bizarre actually because it was totally in some ways it was really interesting to realize actually some of the the reason that my values don't quite align with what my American colleagues perhaps were saying or doing at the time and I resonated that a lot more with my course mates who obviously all went to the US together with me and that helped me realize actually I'm actually more British (laughs) than I I think I am Mm. and I remember the time when I told my um, supervisor at the time in the US that actually I was born in China and I grew up in China and just the way that she kind of was really shocked by that and she almost couldn't make sense of how um yeah whether whether to perceive me through like a like a Chinese student lens or whether I'm somebody who's from the UK and just and it was really interesting to see how her reaction it kind of almost made me question more of like do I feel more Chinese or do I feel more British and yeah it's interesting how you question your identity a lot more when you're in a alienating culture really Mm, absolutely and interesting that her confusion was kind of mirroring your own yeah (laughs) absolutely (laughs) yeah and then you came back to the UK and did your PhD yes yeah so what I mean how did that feel you you spoke earlier about um the kind of almost fulfilling that stereotype of a Chinese student being very productive and smart and how did that kind of how did that feel when you were doing your PhD in Bath uh, not particularly culturally diverse city I mean I on a personal level really enjoyed my time doing my PhD Um, and it's interesting because I think I was so interested in the research area I was in and also had a really supportive team of mentors and colleagues kind of around me I think I I think actually I didn't really think too much about how my race and ethnicity was coming across Mm. that much partly because I think in the research sphere unless you're doing research that's a bit more kind of touching on cultural diversity or ethnic diversity it's not really spoken about as much now that I'm kind of doing my clinical training I realize how little or how few conversations there were actually to reflect on this topic so that's been quite interesting yeah yeah and might reflect partly on the research area Mm -hmm. as well um the autism field is not known for having really culturally diverse recruitment strategies and diverse samples yeah participants yeah yeah but then you made the decision to apply for clinical training yeah so tell me about what informed that decision making process I think it's been a long-standing kind of um, decision. So I knew from my undergrad and from all my experiences of working with directly with people, I knew I wanted more than just working with them in a research capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because 
I think that what drives me to do research is to see how research can be translated into practice and actually make a meaningful change in people's lives. And so I knew, um, and also just from seeing mentors that I really admire who are clinicians by training and are now doing really meaningful and impactful research, I knew I wanted to skill myself up like mm. through clinical training and just develop some of those skills to be able to work with people from really different backgrounds and and just yeah kind of provide that more solid foundation to help me do more meaningful research in a way as well that can be more easily translated so I think that was quite a long-standing decision to apply to clinical psychology I think interesting going back to your previous question around stereotypes as well it's interesting because um I think comes back to kind of what how mental health field is being perceived in the Chinese culture like my family you know you think that <laughs> being a Chinese coming from a Chinese family you know parents might be delighted to, to hear that their child fulfills <laughs> the Chinese cultural stereotype of you know doing a lot of research and two doctorates yeah but actually it was it took a long time for my parents to really come round to the idea that I'm you know going to dedicate my life in this field because they just didn't understand what's in this field and like what what's in it for you and you know the classic questions of you know are you going to be okay like mentally if you're working with really vulnerable people um what does it mean to work in the NHS I think it was just all like very alienating concepts to my family so I think I actually felt a lot more pressure to almost prove myself to my family that I can make this work Mm. as a way of debunking some of those myths of like this is a field that doesn't you know have um that can't give you back as much as some of the more kind of traditional careers that perhaps Chinese um people go on to pursue yeah yeah and I mean that makes perfect sense in the context you described earlier of there being less kind of mental health awareness yeah in China and when you were growing up compared to here yeah 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 so I mean careers in clinical psychology yeah it's it's like another step along to kind of make sense of a career yeah definitely and I think actually it's helped since coming on to work kind of clinically um I think and just kind kind of being able to say you know I work in the NHS and this is what I do and I think that in a way has helped my parents understand um mental health and what role mental health plays in society a little bit more so um yeah I'm really proud of like how I've been, you know, slowly chipping away <laughs> at some of the, um, I suppose, really strongly held beliefs within my family and just kind of, yeah, and also talking to other people within, you know, our Chinese community to, to try to, yeah, share a little bit more around mental health and how to how to actually, it's okay to, to name those difficulties and seek support as well. So I like to think that I'm, yeah, slowly but surely mm. kind of chipping away at this. And what has it been like having those conversations? I think it takes, um, yeah, it's it's not always easy, for sure. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's kind of, people will talk about, you will hear people kind of talk about some of these difficulties or issues that's coming up in their lives, but without the language of naming what that is or kind of necessarily knowing that actually there is support available for you. Um, this is how you can access some of the support and actually lots of people access support like this Mm. so you know it's not like there's something wrong with you so I think it takes time for people to 
it might you might feel like you're a broken record kind of saying this quite a few times just for pe- for people to familiarize with the concept and actually i think it was during training when i worked in iapps and kind of for me to gain first-hand insight into how some of these uh, systems and institutions are being run to then be able to relay my personal experience to them rather than kind of preaching mm. you know from yeah just I think it was it was those personal experiences that helped to change people's perspectives to know that actually if I go to a service there are people like JD working in the service who can understand me and maybe it won't be as alienating as I think it would be yeah yeah and have you been asked to work with Chinese um, patients or service users in clinical work do you know that is um I'm it's so funny you asked me that because um I've only ever encountered one Chinese client during wow. my first two years of training. Um, and you're training in London. In so. training in London, South London as well. So it's a very diverse population. And I wasn't asked actually to work with the one <laughs> old adult who who was Chinese that came in through. Um, that is so interesting. And um, I volunteered myself. I kind of jumped at the opportunity of... It was working with an with an old adult, and I just felt like I've never had this experience. It was quite it was so interesting because you know quite often in clinical training, you talk about how do you work with culturally diverse clients, and you don't acknowledge that actually when you're not a you know white British trainee, mm. the majority of the people you see <laughs> are like from a different ethnicity to you maybe mm. not ethnic minority but they're different to you and I actually I've never had the privilege of working with somebody who shares my cultural understanding and yeah it was it was really nice and I'm really glad I took the opportunity to work with that um service user and actually remembering a lot of people telling me you don't have to do this are you sure you want to do this and I almost felt like I was I would be doing that service user some disservice mm. <laughs> if I wasn't stepping in to kind of mitigate some of the um cultural differences that they were perceiving in the service as well so yeah interesting you asked that kate yeah <laughs> and i'm fascinated to hear that yeah. you've only come across one chinese person yeah. in the last couple of years so let's let's just talk a little bit more about yeah. your experiences doing the declin yeah i mean what has that been like for you i'm pretty much only working with people from different ethnic and racial backgrounds to you yeah i think it's it's <sighs> I suppose in a way it's not so alienating because that's kind of how I've grown up <laughs> since sure, the age of sure, 10. Sure. Um, but I think it's made me, knowing my experiences of growing up, I suppose, you know, looking different and sounding perhaps different to the people predominantly in the culture around me, made me perhaps more weary of the way that diversity is handled sometimes in some of these clinical reflective spaces to feel like being pressured um, to always ask about that difference and to um, always kind of name that on the table with the service user that you're seeing. Because I think it's hard to, um, you know, I certainly know that for my, you know, for my family, for example, like if they went to see somebody and somebody posed that question to them, it would almost feel really alienating and it would, almost in some ways shut that conversation down a bit um so I've always been kind of pushing for you know we need to be quite sensitive around how those conversations being handled you know who's asking those questions how might they land 
So it's been quite eye-opening, I think, from the training side to think about what we're being asked to do and actually almost the lack of um, acknowledgement that those questions could be perceived to be quite harmful and quite persecutory by people that perhaps have experienced very difficult life circumstances as well. So, yeah, yeah, that's kind of been my experience so far. Yeah, and that's really interesting because I think just thinking about the idea that you have to always explore a difference, Mm -hmm. an important difference between you and the client. But I think often those those sorts of recommendations do focus on race and ethnicity. And actually, if I worked with someone who grew up in poverty, our cultural backgrounds are really different. But I'm not necessarily encouraged to always bring that up as something that we have to talk about. Or equally, you know, if I work with someone who's transgender or whatever it is... I think when it's ethnicity, there's almost this thing that that's something that you have to talk about. And of course, that puts a massive pressure on someone like you who is almost exclusively working with people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the reflections that I perhaps have on a personal level might not necessarily be what the teaching is looking for, like in terms of... And then it's it's very much kind of, you know, you need to um, reflect on that yourself and kind of think about the impact that has on you. But it just... It almost feels like there's also, you know, asking these questions also goes two ways, I think. And there's no kind of consideration, like you say, like pretty much everybody I worked with, except that one uh, um, service user is from a different background to me. And that does, you know, I, I, I almost kind of, it's like an unspoken difference that I don't quite know what it's like actually to be working with people that share your background so I feel like when I ask that question it's coming from probably a different place and perhaps landing a little bit differently to um how it's been taught on the course yeah yeah and there's a lack of nuance to that recommendation isn't there as well because if you were sat in front of a white woman who went to an all-girls school yeah and I was sat in front of that person you'd probably be able to understand their experience more quickly than me when I went to a school which was basically mostly farming families (laughs) in the northeast so it's yeah but I think that's where it comes kind of it becomes really confusing because you know those buzzwords of like culture ethnicity and race they're so conflated by you know under this umbrella term of difference Mm. and I almost don't know where to position myself when yeah. I ask questions like that you know am I talking about racial difference or is it ethnicity or is it culture like I and I don't know how to ground myself in relation to you know asking that question sometimes also because it just it yeah those constructs seem to be so conflated yeah and you've you've brought us back beautifully really to the beginning of yeah. your journey of kind of not not being able to make sense of those identities and actually that maybe there never is that final answer for anybody yeah um but you're in a position where you've kind of almost been forced to think about it a lot more than many people like myself have had to yeah so how do you have any kind of tips of how you've managed that stuff or coped with it whilst you've been on the decline that our listeners might be interested i think just really look after yourself um because i perhaps uh, this probably speaks of my own kind of ignorance even though i've had thought about some of these issues prior to coming on to training i think some of those conversations when it's done in a cohort space you never quite know how 
that might kind of sit with you both in the moment and also you know the conversations doesn't quite stop in the classroom like you take Mm. those conversations away with you and I think I've had moments where I really felt um you know that difference has been kind of really emphasized and make me feel actually more disconnected with you know the space and the people that I was together with and so I think just really look after yourself and know that you know those conversations are really difficult and I think I'm now encouraging myself really to to know that if you're not in the mental space to do that like it's perfectly okay for you to not join this space yeah um because we don't have the privilege of walking away from the classroom and turning off that switch of I'm not going to think about race and ethnicity and culture because we live that experience every day so yeah so I think just really you know be in tune with like how these conversations make you feel in the moment and just take yeah take moments to kind of look after yourself yeah I love that analogy of not being able to switch it off I think that's a really uh, nice compassionate way that people could kind of Uh, disengage (laughs) with a topic that they're being encouraged to engage with um, as a way of looking after themselves so I think that's yeah lovely advice JD you've been amazing I feel like we could carry on talking for much longer (laughs) it's so interesting Um, but yeah thank you for sharing so much about your experiences I feel like it's been really lovely to hear about your journey of kind of it sounded like quite a lonely isolating experience at times but just hearing about how you have applied your natural curiosity and intelligence to make sense of that over time and leading you to this career um it's been really lovely to hear about so thank you so much much, Kate for listening as well and for inviting me it's a pleasure Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to JD speak. Uh, She is so insightful and I really love talking to her about her experiences. If you enjoy the podcast, please do like and subscribe. Give us five star reviews if you think that we're good enough for them. Um, It really makes a difference to people finding out about the podcast. Um, And Afsana will be back with another episode next month. Thanks everyone.